This episode of Rolled Up brings a guest who's a friendly face and an even more familiar voice. You've heard her on one of the podcasts she's hosted, or hosts today. You've definitely seen her on Twitter. And maybe, if you're with the cool kids that sit at the back of the bus, met her at the D2C water cooler in her private Slack community. I'm talking, of course, about Kristen LaFrance, and she joins me in this episode of Rolled Up to talk about podcasting. And while she's not a founder in the traditional sense, she's grown and really launched her career by going out and doing a little bit of entrepreneurship and starting a podcast at her company and using that to grow fast. I was looking at the content field out there and our topic was retention, customer retention. And it was clear that there was this massive content hole around retention. And so the question I was posed with was, how do we start telling stories around retention to make people focus on it when those stories are not in the public eye? We can't see them outside. So the initial idea was kind of, okay, we got to start talking to people so I can understand the back ends of what's happening on customer retention. And from there came the idea of playing for keeps. And it was uh, was just kind of a trial by fire was... Yeah, let's get a podcast up, go order a $50 mic on Amazon, get some customers on the phone and just start talking. And from that came a a very quick love for the world of podcasting. From getting her start using podcasts as a way to better understand customers and excel as a marketer to the current head of Resilient Retail, I hope you enjoy this episode where Kristen shares her journey, what she's gotten out of podcasting, and a couple laughs along the way, all rolled up into today's great episode. Kristen, I know that you're much more than a podcaster. How would you identify when when you're introducing yourself to someone new? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, see, I, I have made this title with Resilient Retail, where, where now it's officially I'm called Head of Resilient Retail, which I think puts it in a little bit of a better perspective of everything that I do, which is, you know, Resilient Retail, while it is a show, the ultimate goal of it is to be this kind of online digital publication that includes social media channels and written content and workshops. And a lot of that I've already had a hand in. Um, I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of social media promotion. And I run a lot of workshops. So I think you could say, I'm an organic growth marketer, I think is how I would put it. Okay. I like that. I like that organic growth marketer really just sort of spreading from one section to the next. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really fascinating, but the one section we're going to really hit home on is as I'm launching the Rolled Up Podcast Network, you've really made a career quite quickly. Also, um, as the mayor of direct-to-consumer Twitter, DTC Twitter, if you will, podcast has just opened so many doors for you. But before we talk about those doors, let's take a step back and hit on the why. Why did you choose podcasting and how did you start? Going back to playing for keeps, why did you you choose to get into podcasting? Yeah, it's an interesting story. It was a little bit of a, a clashing of the environment I was in and then the needs of the marketing that we needed to do at Churnbuster. So the team at Churnbuster had run an entire successful podcast before that was kind of in their background of a skill set that the team had had. They had seen how a show could grow, how a show could be successful. And so actually within my first six months at Churnbuster, we were marketing really heavily in kind of the 
B2B SaaS space and uh, the CEO, Matt Goldman, had come to me and he said, what do you think about a podcast? Do you think that would be a, a good tool in our arsenal? And I'm very content focused. I've been a, a content marketer pretty much my whole career. And back then, this must have been, you know, 2018, end of 2018. I was still this little shy, scared girl. I wanted to hide behind the computer and just let other writers kind of have their name out there. I didn't want to be known. And I kind of laughed at him at that point. And I was like, no, that's not me. I'm not somebody who talks. I was known in high school and college as a socially awkward person who would have a hard time holding conversation with strangers. Didn't ever seem like that was going to be a, a journey for me. And then about six months, eight months after that, we had actually switched to marketing pretty heavily in the D2C e-commerce space instead of the SaaS space. And I was looking at the content field out there and our topic was retention, customer retention. And I was just looking and, and it was clear that there was this massive content hole around retention. But the issue that I found was it's really easy to look at a company and say, okay, I can see what they're doing on Facebook advertising. I can see how they're marketing their brand. I can see what the logo and the story all looks like. But retention is something that happens internally in a lot of these companies. It's the engagement with customers that you don't really see unless you are a customer of that brand. And so the question I was posed with was, how do we start telling stories around retention to make people focus on it when those stories are not in the public eye? We can't see them outside. And so the answer quickly became, well, we need to get these people on who are doing the work of customer retention and we need to talk to them. I need to hear from them. It's the only way I will learn enough to become a thought leader and be able to write content. So the initial idea was kind of, okay, we got to start talking to people so I can understand the back ends of, of what's happening on customer retention. And from there came the idea of playing for keeps. And it was, uh, you know, you and I have talked about this before, Lucas, just kind of a trial by fire was yeah, let's let's get a podcast up, go order a $50 mic on Amazon, get some customers on the phone and just start talking. And from that came a, a very quick love for the world of podcasting. You had mentioned that the environment was just right at playing for keeps and you hit on that. But if somebody's listening and A, they want to start a podcast for themselves at their company or they've been tasked with uh, creating a podcast just to keep up for the Joneses. What kind of a, a corporate environment really fosters success with podcasting? It's such a good question because it's very similar to the kind of environment that would allow for content to really succeed. And what I think it is, is it's being in an environment where they understand the reason for the show. And a lot of times in business, people want to see a direct ROI, right? If we're going to put out one podcast, it's going to cost us this much. How much business is it going to lead back to us? But really the mission of a lot of shows, and of course this is, it comes down to your brand, but the mission of all of my shows has been a lot more about creating brand advocacy, creating authority in a space over a topic. And what makes podcasting so great for that is you get these chances to go deep with someone that you're not quite going to get when you're just writing something for a blog post or creating an email campaign. You get these nuanced conversations that drive you deeper into topics. 
But that environment has to be around where the people who are kind of watching it and funding it and giving you the resources to run a show, the question is, do they understand the purpose of the show and the larger scheme of things in the marketing tech stack that you've got there? And it, it really is, it's a long play. It takes a while to build kind of a, a, a listenership. It takes a while to really get your feet in a show and figure out, okay, what does this show represent? You can only really get there by actually doing interviews or recording the podcast or whatever it is that you're doing. But I think that is such a big and important thing is understanding that one episode is not going to lead necessarily to signups for whatever you're selling at the end of the day. It's about creating an ecosystem around your brand of, of content, of narrative, of stories, of information that then allows your brand to become an authority on those topics and allows the people at your company to become thought leaders on those topics. So in the corporate environment, it requires a lot of trust. It requires a lot of creative freedom and it requires a commitment to the show. I think that that's just so true that it's, if you have a company culture where engagement matters, if people share your content internally and it's very collaborative, that that will foster a good or a strong environment for, for launch for a podcast. Yeah. And there has to be that internal agreement and excitedness about the show because so much of launching a podcast comes down to who's sharing it, who's leaving a review, are we getting people to come listen to it? That's, I mean, that's the first step. And then you can go into the whole, okay, once they press play, do you have pieces of the show that keep them listening, that keep them coming back and all that we can go into. But from the get-go, it really does have to have a show needs internal champions. And while it can just be, you know, one person, it helps a lot to have multiple internal champions. If if you'll notice on my show, Resilient Retail, the very first episode was with Harley Finkelstein, who is now the president of Shopify. And that was a really strategic move we did where we said, you know, if we can get Harley excited about this show, if we can get him seeing the potential of what the show can do for Shopify on a larger scale, then we're off to the races. And that proved to be very true. So making sure that, you know, if you're a marketer and you're pitching internally, hey, I think a show is a good idea, um, making sure that you are championing it internally. It's a whole other piece of, of the job is making sure that the people behind you understand the investment that it's going to take and understand that it's going to require that long-term support internally. I think that internal marketing could be uh, another topic for, for a whole other episode. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like you are ready to, uh, I don't necessarily want to use the phrase masterclass because I think it's been a bit bastardized, but <laughs> you could definitely host a uh, virtual event that you're very excited to, to share on LinkedIn about internal marketing. Yes, I'm sure that I could. <laughs> Just a, a little dig at uh, everyone sharing webinars on LinkedIn these days. But just like webinars have been kind of exhausted. It feels like podcasts are at an inflection point where maybe we get that second wave of, of business podcasts where it goes beyond recorded interviews. What do you think is something that business podcasts could be doing differently? I think one of the biggest things with business podcasts is they can be so dry. They can be so focused on whatever those business goals are at the end. You know, at, at Churnbuster, we could have done 
a podcast only talking, you know, we only service subscription companies at that at that company. And so I could have only interviewed subscription founders. I could have only interviewed really incredible, massive brands. Um, I could have, you know, just had a script where it was me coming and talking and pitching to the audience every time. But all of that had kind of either been done or it felt like, Eh, you know, that's not really going to hook our audience. And I think that's because a lot of businesses think about how is this podcast going to help us as a business versus how is this podcast going to help our listeners? And then how will that value then drive them back to us in a certain way? This is something we've been super strategic about out in Resilient Retail that, you know, it's Shopify that's running this podcast, right? I have the entire empire of Shopify behind me. I could have launched and I could have interviewed the absolute biggest names in retail. I could have gotten Steve Madden. I probably could have gotten, you know, Jessica Alba. I could have gotten these massive names that use Shopify. But at the end of the day, the question was, does that help who is going to listen to the show? Which who is going to listen to the show? The goal was the target audience is a brick and mortar merchant that has one to five locations. And while those episodes would get a lot of eyes and it'd be really exciting and cool to see, it wouldn't actually help that person other than maybe some a, a dose of inspiration, which you'll see some of that in the show. We've got some bigger names. We've got Jamie Schmidt of Schmidt's Naturals. Um, we had Harley Finkelstein. We've had Jeff Staple. We have these big names that give that kind of higher aspirational storytelling vibe. But at the same time, we also have, you know, Steph LaPosta, who owns a retail store in Toronto. And actually, this year, they had to close their doors. Jeff Bull, who is the brand manager at Twin City Runnings, a small local running store in Minnesota. And I, I think that's a big thing that a lot of business podcasts are missing is the focus on the actual listener, that this isn't just something to put out for the sake of putting out content so people can see your brand. It's actually putting out something that will help somebody solve a real problem in their life as a human being. So then later down the line, if someone you know is listening to my podcast and then they're like, wait, Shopify has a point of sale system as well. Actually, I should go look at them not because I told them to, but because I've given them so much value that why would they look anywhere else? The other thing I think a lot of business podcasts are missing is a genuine human being as a host who has been given the freedom to speak their mind, to say what they're hearing in interviews. You hear a lot of these business interviews that are very clean cut Q&A. Here's a question. Here's an answer. We're going to move on to the next question. And on those, you you start to get this robotic back and forth. And, and then the guests are doing it as well. They're just kind of giving their bullet points. A lot of guests come on and they kind of have, you know, they have things they're going to say. They have their boilerplate answers. I have my boilerplate answers. But what we've done on Resilient Retail is we've kind of blown up the idea of having a, a perfect interview. And instead, the team at Shopify has trusted me with the platform to say, Kristen, if you hear something that the guest says that you disagree with or something that you think that the audience needs to really, really hear and take to heart what they're saying, I've been given the runway to do that. So you'll hear in our interviews, it's a real conversation. It's a back and forth. And, you know, we don't edit out little mistakes all the time because for the audience, that's what makes the most sense. So I think, you know, 
really understanding the purpose of a podcast, like we talked about kind of at the beginning of this conversation, is, you know, creating content that's helping somebody that we need to see a lot more from business podcasts. And then just a lot more humanity and authenticity and real conversations and real service to the guests, to the people listening, rather than just servicing the the business itself. Those are kind of the main things I'm seeing with business podcasts. Uh, I think we could all just like have a little more fun on the mic, I think is what I'm saying. <laughs> like we get lost in the KPIs of the podcast and forget that it's edutainment. Yes. That as cliche as it is, you are competing against Dak Shepard. You are competing against Gary Vaynerchuk and everyone else who has these massive followings. And it's it just becomes these long drawn on interviews of corporate jargon. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's it can just become so dry and so unengaging. And once that happens, I think that's very unique with podcasts is people make decisions pretty quickly on if they like a show or not. And so even if you're starting with that, and then you kind of find your way through a season, you have to kind of come to the beginning of your podcast with an idea that has some uniqueness to it, because there are, you know, millions of interview style podcasts out there. So if you're going to do an interview style podcast, you have to ask yourself from the get go, what differentiates us from from Dak Shepard, from Tim Ferriss? I'm never going to have their kind of production that they have. So what is my unique value in this show? And going back to what you said as well about creating the content for your audience, at the end of the day, the metric is, do my listeners like this? And are my listeners the right people? Mm-hmm. Because if they like it, A, they'll keep your focus on retention there, but also you're going to keep growing that audience just as by continuously producing that that same consistent content. Yeah, exactly. And that's been a really big focus for resilient retail with Shopify is, you know, differentiating also between you can have different kinds of audiences. We have, you know, I look at them as who are our potential buyer journey audience and who are our cheerleader audience. And a lot of it is the the D2C community is kind of our cheerleader audience because of my my role in kind of the D2C Twitter is I know I can get a lot of eyes on it from that community. But at the end of the day, they're not really the best possible customer for Shopify point of sale, which at the end, end, end of the day is who we're trying to talk to and help and connect with. So you can have two different audiences and then you can try to figure out how do I how do I play with both of them to find the right mix of I'm helping the people really truly that need the help, but I'm also serving the people who will engage with it and share it to find those other audience members. Um, But yeah, consistency and always coming back to what is the mission of the podcast? What is its purpose for existing is something that I, I think as a podcaster, you have to keep at the complete forefront of your mind on every single decision that you make. So shifting gears a little bit, in an era where everyone and their mother-in-law does have a podcast, what are some strategies we could all use to grow our podcasts? So if you were tasked with, if they if Harley came up to you and said, Kristen, love the podcast, or just chat with my buddy Tim, uh, can we get 2% of his downloads? Can we get 100,000 downloads in 2021? What strategies would you use to grow that podcast organically? perfect timing that you asked me this question because this is kind of the exercise I'm actually going through right now. To back up on why I I love podcasting so much as a content marketer from a strategic decision making is 
that a podcast is so much more. It has the potential to be so much more, which you're going to see this uh, in resilient retail in 2021 on an absolute massive scale. But if you go back to kind of the core of an interview, you, you have an hour long interview with somebody and you could say, okay, that's one episode. Or you could say, okay, that's one podcast episode, but hey, we also recorded the video, so that's a YouTube video, and hey, we can cut this 30-second clip, and that's a nice uh, video for Instagram. Oh, and also, they mentioned this one thing about you know email marketing. Let's pull that advice out and then create a blog post about it. And then at the end of the week, let's send a newsletter out showing people, hey, you can follow us on Instagram. Now we've got TikTok. Oh, check us out on Twitter. Hey, we're sharing this kind of stuff over here. There's also an article. Oh, and we've had this you know, lineup of contributors who are, who are passing their thought leadership onto the content side of things. So I, I kind of call it the waterfall of resilient. We, we talk about waterfall content a lot. And that I think is the best growth lever for a podcast is, you know, one, even getting a podcast off the ground is an incredible feat in and of itself. But then seeing all the potential you can do to repurpose content and just take it 10 hundred miles 1,000 miles. That's good. Uh, you can take that. So 1,000 miles. Yeah, yeah. So 1,000 miles. <laughs> so you can take that that one piece of content a thousand miles further and create all these other kinds of content. So that comes down to you know figuring out one where is your audience. There are so many different channels you could do. I, I mean, I just mentioned like five right there, which as a team of even five people, that'd be difficult to do. So figuring out. Where is my target audience already spending time on internet? Where are they already engaging with content? And then going to those channels and saying, how can I keep repurposing stuff that I've already made? How can I create new content on all these channels to then bring people back to what is the quote unquote hero content, which for a podcast is going to be, you know, the audio stream you get on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever. But also there are all these other places you can connect with the show and get involved in this brand ecosystem, this ecosystem of content and value that just drives massive customer love and, and listener love for the show. And that's why uh, you heard me mention and I and I said maybe I'm more of an organic growth marketer than just a podcaster is because that's the entire strategy behind resilient retail. That's why I don't say I'm the host of resilient retail, but I am the head of resilient retail because ultimately it's it should be this this large digital publication. And I think that is just in its essence, the best way to promote a podcast is to get it on as many channels as you can, make sure the content works for each channel and is native for each channel. But that's the power and the secret sauce of podcasting is one piece of content is not just one piece of content anymore, like a blog post may be. It's tens, hundreds of tens, <laughs> or thousands. Nice save there, Kristen. And if uh, you... I hope I'm not giving away too, too much of your medical history, but both Kristen and I have had a number of concussions. So excuse <laughs> yes. our ability or inability to count. <laughs> or to say words on the fly. Sometimes they just get jumbled in that brain. Good, uh, good point for me to collect my thoughts. Uh, but you had some very, very flattering things to to say about uh, the trailer and sort of how, what you've heard of of me as a host. How have you evolved as a host going from the first episode of Playing for Keeps all the way up to now the head of Resilient Retail as you prepare for the season two launch? Oh, man, so many ways. I think the biggest way that I've really evolved is just in general nerves. I remember, you know, the first season of Playing for Keeps going on to every single interview call was like, 
you know, preparing for the Olympics. I was, I was ready 15 minutes before I had 13 sheets of notes. I had all my questions scripted out. I had potentials. If they answer like this, here's a question we can go to. I created uh, jumps in my pages of notes so I knew where to go. And I'm very thankful for those times because it really created this this need for research that I still have where I understand that if I'm doing deep research behind any of my conversations, it's going to be the best. But now I've been able to kind of fall into the role of the, you know, conversational gatekeeper versus just the host that is here to interview you and get the best out of you is I think now I've gotten a lot more comfortable with the nuance of interviews and allowing them to go off the script and to go off of the plan that I had for the interview. Oftentimes I'll I'll have a question planned and, you know, I'll have five questions on a topic and I ask the first question and my guest answers all five of my questions in their first answer. And it would used to be that that would cause kind of a a panic and I would have to say, okay, uh, give me a second to kind of get my bearings, figure out how we we go into the next part of the interview. Now it's something I can kind of do on the fly. The other big thing I've seen in my growth is uh, the ability to follow a conversation in my head. When I when I did playing for keeps, it was audio only, so we had no video. So I got really good at being able to sit with my notes and write down as someone was talking and in circle and say, okay, like mentally, I want to come back to what they said and, and pull this out and dig deeper, which I think is a really powerful podcast host skill to have. And I was able to develop it off camera like that, but with resilient retail everything is on camera and i have you know the same camera that toby the ceo and founder of shopify uses so every little thing is caught on my camera and i've had to learn how to do that process in my own head and, and you mentioned <laughs> we've both had multiple connections sh- uh, connections concussions and can't remember words <laughs> <laughs> uh, there we go that was perfectly delivered uh <laughs> we've both had you know multiple concussions And actually, short-term memory is something that I struggle with. So it's actually been a very difficult but rewarding process of learning how to do that. Okay, I'm I'm listening and I'm engaging and you can see that I am watching the guest speak, but at the same time, I'm footnoting in my head and I'm saying, okay, they said this, this thing at the beginning and then they said it again. And now I feel like I should go back and tie a bow on all those things for the guests so they hear it. Um, I think those are the biggest things. So, you know, confidence. I sweat a little bit less than I used to during every interview. Um, I've gotten much more comfortable with larger guests with bigger followings and bigger presences. Um, Just remembering that everybody's a human being and being able to go in those interviews relaxed and just being myself versus trying to, you know, level up to whatever, whatever my brain is telling me. And then the ability to just kind of follow and track a conversation on the fly not easy, but something that is, uh, it's definitely paying off in my social life as well. I've become much better at uh, conversations over dinner. Do you have a preference, video or audio? You know, I don't know if I can pick either or. I like both formats a lot. As a guest, I love uh, having my video off because I can have my notes for myself. And that's wonderful to be able to make sure, you know, I'm hitting this key point that I wrote down that I want to make sure is a tweetable thing. I want to have that moment. And video does add this extra layer of, you know, I can't look at my notes super easily. I, I have them positioned right behind my camera. I figured out how to put them where you can't quite tell that I'm looking at them over my camera. But it, it requires a lot more engagement from the host, from me, to be on video, to be reacting to things. Where I see it helps me the most 
is it actually gives me a lot more insight than I thought it would onto what the guest is loving to talk about the most and what I'm going to get them to kind of run down a rabbit hole with me on is I can see the difference between, you know, I ask them about their background and I get a little bit of the boilerplate. You can see their face go into the, okay, I'm just regurgitating something that I've regurgitated now a hundred times on a hundred different podcasts versus I ask a question or I give them some feedback and they come back and you can see them kind of on video, you can see the difference in the emotion. And that has given me a lot of cues on where to take conversations on the fly. But yeah, it, it's a toss up and it just, it depends. And, and for the listeners who, if anybody's thinking, okay, I wanna do a podcast, but do I do video or do I do audio only? I think it depends on the intent of your show. What are you trying to create? Which one is going to make more sense for that? That being said, audio only is definitely a little bit easier uh, on your first go around as a podcast host. If you get to interview anyone, and let's let's just say to calm the nerves, it would be audio only. Who is your ideal podcast guest? Just just in case they're they're listening. Ooh. Anyone in the world, who would you have on your, on your podcast? I've been making a really big case for Ryan Reynolds. Um, if I can get Ryan Reynolds to come on and talk to me about branding and channel distribution and how to be a human being across multiple channels marketing something, I think he'd be my absolute dream guest for Resilient Retail. But also, and I, and I got to do it, and, and anybody who knows me and is listening is going to giggle at this, if I could interview absolutely anybody in the world, it would be Barack Obama hands down any day. He'd be a good interview. I don't know if you remember his presidential portrait where he's kind of, they put him in a bunch of leaves and he's in this green background and he's sitting on a chair. I actually have that picture hanging up to the left of my desk uh, to give me a little, he gives me a little boost of confidence every now and then. <laughs> oh, cool. And that's pretty, <laughs> it's neat how uh, Joe Biden became president right after him. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm liking it. <laughs> The last question that I, I really have been just dying to know is what was the process like as you uh, joined Resilient and essentially launched it, becoming uh, a founder in your own right within within Shopify, a, a big company? So how did you go from you were at Churnbuster, you were doing a little bit with the, the Privy team. What was that process like being courted by, by Shopify all the way up to now getting season two of Resilient Retail? Yeah. Um, talk about stakes rising uh, immediately. I went from hosting a podcast with, with Churnbuster, which uh, amazing company, but you know, small startup, the stakes weren't massive. We did really great, had, you know, thousands of people who heard my voice and listened to the show. And then over to Privy, kind of stepped up there, I even more people were hearing my voice. But that was, you know, I was just kind of reciting news. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm over at Shopify. And uh, that is, I think everybody knows who Shopify is. That's kind of a, a big a big step up in mm, responsibilities of a show. And, and the story is actually pretty funny. So they, Shopify had kind of already started to plan resilient retail out a little bit and theorize about it, but it was going to be just a series of virtual events. That's how they were going to run it was, was more of that webinar style. And, you know, between my, my role at Churnbuster and Shopify, it took some weeks to figure out, you know, what do I actually want to do with my career? It felt like this kind of pivotal moment for me that I could take a really big step somewhere. And I was correct because I ended up at Shopify. 
Spotify. And when I finally was ready to actually go back into a full-time position, I posted on Twitter, hey, I'm looking for a full-time position. Here's here's what I'm looking for. I want to be in the e-commerce space still. I love hosting podcasts. Um, I love content. And I want to be somewhere where organic growth is a really big thing. And Matt Nelson, who was my lead at the time, he just kind of slid into my DMs and he said, I've got this project and I kind of think that you would be interested in it. Do you want to hop on a call? And so, you know, they had created this idea of resilient retail. They are these live events. They had a couple guests potentially locked in and Harley was the host of that. He was set up to be the host of those events. And then they brought me in and they had to pause those events because they were supposed to go live around the same time that George Floyd was murdered. They made the correct corporate decision to say, okay, this voice doesn't need to be heard right now. We don't need to be putting this content out. So they took they took a step back. They emailed everybody and said, hey, you know, you understand the nature of what's happening in our world right now. We need to not be talking about this. And in that window is when I came into Shopify and there were still talks about, you know, where I was going to sit in resilient retail. Was I going to be hosting a totally different show? Was there going to be some community that I was going to lead instead? And um, within my first kind of week at Shopify, you go through a couple days of onboarding and then you, you get hooked up with your team. And on that, you know, that Thursday of my first day, I get through onboarding and I, I meet the team and <laughs> Matt, uh, DMs me and he says, congrats, you're the new host of Resilient Retail. And I was like, what? Well, what does that mean? Um, and he said, uh, Harley's going to to step aside. You're going to be the host. But now I want you to tear down every single strategy we had and rebuild it to what you think the show needs to be. And that was kind of the crazy process of going from, you know, I'm hosting kind of a, a segment on Privy Show to then I'm joining Shopify to then I am potentially leading these live events that Harley Finkelstein, the president of Shopify, was supposed to lead instead of me, and then completely blowing that idea up and just creating a show instead. And then, you know, first episode of the season, I went ahead and just interviewed Harley Finkelstein. So it was, I was thrown into the depths of this brand new platform that was much bigger than anything I had ever done before, which was terrifying and scary and nerve wracking and sweat inducing, but all at the same time, really incredibly fun because I was given the, I, I talked a lot about, having internal trust in in your podcast host and whoever's running the show is them saying, here, we had this strategy, but why don't you tear it down? Why don't you build up something that you think will work better with you as the host allowed me to take on that challenge knowing they hired Kristen to be Kristen so I could build the show around that idea knowing that they wanted my voice and they wanted the approach that I would give the show. And even though Harley is Harley, they still wanted Kristen to be a, a pivotal part of that entire content initiative. So it was a, a weird and crazy, weird and crazy way to do it. And I still, you know, look at my husband and I'm just like, what is my life? I, <laughs> my career, my job is to just sit and talk with people who are smarter and more creative and more brilliant than I will ever be and just share their stories. That's potentially the best job I could ever have. It's pretty cool. And I can relate to that feeling when it's, especially this time of year, we're recording on like four days before Christmas. And my dad said, so my friend asked me, what do you do? And I just <laughs> said, it's, I host a burrito themed podcast, which alludes to cannabis. It's, <laughs> uh, it's hard to explain. It's funny you mentioned that. My dad 
doesn't fully get what I do. A lot of times I get texts like, oh, are you you still just sitting on your ass, sleeping in bed and pretending you have a job? Um, but he also totally doesn't quite get the what does Shopify do question. And somehow he's gotten in his head. I think I was trying to explain, you know, when you're online and you're checking out and there's that virtual shopping cart that then you go and you put your cart in. He's really hooked on to that shopping cart thing. So now he has this joke where he just asked me how my shopping carts are doing. And I honestly don't know if he thinks I fix shopping carts online or not. Like, so, you know, when you go to the store, the retail store and the cart has a wobbly wheel, you fix that. You, yeah. you lube up the cart wheels and the bearings. So you don't yeah. get the, the crappy wheels. It's that's a sign. Like that's easier to explain to, to our parents. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or, you know, I just talk to people all day long and then uh, people think I'm famous and smart. So worked out. <laughs> it's true. Have, have you ever had anyone be like, Oh yeah, I really listened to your podcast and you met them before and you just totally had no idea who they were. Oh, yes, all the time. And, and that also happens a lot with uh, with Twitter because, you know, I, I know a lot of people's handles off the top of my head, but I might forget what their full name is or what they do or who they're acquainted with. And, you know, back when we all used to gather at conferences or something, somebody would come up to me and say, hey, Kristen, it's so nice to like finally meet you in person, blah, blah, blah. And it would take, you know, you're standing there with that like blank face of, oh, my God, I, I shouldn't know who you are, but I don't know who you are. Or um, I know what your handle is, but I actually have no idea what your first name is. Those things happen often and it, it can be pretty funny, but it's also one of the best feelings ever is to make that offline to online connection of someone saying like, oh, I've heard your podcast. It's also that weird thing of in person, I immediately get self-conscious and I'm like, oh, you've heard my voice. Like my podcast voice is different than my normal voice. Like you've heard that side of me. That is weird. <laughs> now, I, now I have to bridge these two personalities together for you. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of just a miserable, quiet, lonely person here who wanted to read my book, but, but thanks for the nice words. Keep, keep listening. <laughs> yes. I just point really aggressively at people at conferences. <laughs> Yes, I, I've experienced that. <laughs> <laughs> so as we wrap up, Kristen, what's one question that, that I missed or you were hoping I'd ask or just a story that you would love to tell? Mm, that's a good question. I've got some pretty good what's the most embarrassing thing you've done on the mic uh, stories I can tell because like I, I mentioned, I purposely kind of anti-Shopify this show with Resilient Retail. I looked at it and I said, you know, Shopify has the ability to produce content that is always perfect. Everything can be highly produced. Everything can go out in a very clean cut format. It can look like it's done by absolute professionals. But I might not be the most absolute professional person ever. I, I sign my emails like crispy LaPants and I make up names for myself and I use too many exclamation points. And it came down to that idea of they hired me to do that with this show. They hired me to bring in that authentic, authentic, Oh, I do this all the time. Uh, it's funny that I'm doing this right now. Authentic voice. Um, my very second episode of season two of Playing for Keeps ever. Uh, that word, authentic, tripped me up for, I think, 30 seconds. Uh, so if you ever want to go go back and listen to me, it's Karen Young on Playing for Keeps. I stumbled through the word authentic for literally 30 seconds. But with Resilient Retail, I went in with that same approach where I said, you know, if we're going to be marketing towards brick and mortar, small business owners in local communities, the last thing they need in 2020 is some 
absolute version of perfection that makes them feel less than, that makes them feel like they're not as much of an expert as me and the guest I'm talking to. So I purposely went to our editors, you know, the first cut I ever heard of an episode, I went and I said, I know there was this this whole moment where I went on a complete rant and I forgot what I was talking about halfway through it and had to just kind of let my guest help me get back to whatever point I was trying to make. I want that back in. And so we've worked really hard on making sure there's there's this authenticity where you're going to hear me mess up a lot on the episodes because that's what people do in conversations and that's what our audience needs to hear is real raw conversations. One of the one of the best pieces of feedback I ever got on the show was somebody said, "You know, I when I listen to Resilient Retail, it sounds like I'm sitting at the dinner table with Kristen and a really close friend." And that to me is is a sign that I've won. But uh, I, I won't tell you any episodes because I think it just creates a fun little Easter egg hunt. I have burped on Resilient Retail. Uh, my dogs have barked. I have said the word sex instead of, I don't even remember what I was trying to say. Sex? Gender? Like sex. Like, I think I was trying to say it's accessible or something. And I just was like, it's ex- it's it's ass sex. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's exceptionally sexual. Yeah. Um, so those are some of my favorite stories is just, you know, if you go listen to Resilient Retail, you'll find some absolute just Kristen Bonehead moments. And they're my favorite ones to have on the show. <laughs> Well, Kristen Bonehead, I think that that's a great moment to wrap it up. Where can people find you if you're hearing this? Uh, are there any channels that Resilient Retail isn't on? If uh, Assuming wherever you're listening to Rolled Up, you can find Resilient Retail. Uh, where else can people find you? Obviously on Twitter. Where else do you, do you hang out? Yeah, so you can follow Resilient Retail on any podcasting platform. All our episodes are also on YouTube. We're going to have a lot more content coming out as well. We have a site, shopify.com slash resilient. You can sign up for our newsletter. It's where we're announcing workshops. In 2021, we're going to be on Instagram and TikTok, if I can figure out how to be as funny as all the incredible graders on there. Um, And then me, I'm on Twitter at KDLaFrance and Instagram at Kristen.LaFrance. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you go back and listen to season one of Resilient Retail if you haven't already. And make sure you're subscribed for season two. If this is your first episode of Rolled Up, well, go grab some chips and Neil Brothers Salsa and get caught up because Kristen's not the only one who would have Ryan Reynolds on her podcast. No, he's not coming on Rolled Up, but magician, TV star, and Ryan Reynolds fanatic Wes Barker joins me next week on Rolled Up for a slightly different episode as we mark the halfway point of season one. But until then, it's quitting time. I know I've got one rolled up and I hope you do too. With 70,000 customers around the world and hundreds of five-star reviews, it's no wonder why so many businesses choose OmniSend for their marketing automation. Here's a review from the Shopify app store that I think said it better than I could of myself. Honestly, I don't think there's anything this app can't do when it comes to email automation marketing. I haven't been with them long, but it seems like whenever I try to do something a little bit more complex, OmniSend has the capability to do it. Their support is incredible. Thanks, Kara. I'm so happy that I chose this app over all the others. You won't be disappointed. 
head to Omnisend.com and see for yourself why so many brands love Omnisend. Getting an appearance on television in primetime can lead to a large number of sales. Just ask anyone who was in the tank pitching their business or the co-founder of TB12 what happened after he won the Super Bowl or whatever I'm allowed to call it in this ad for ship pop. TB12 had four times their normal sales volume in December and they were able to get all of those orders out on time because they're partnered with ShipBob. You can partner with ShipBob too. Head to ShipBob.com, get a quote, see what difference it could make for your business.